Tony Williams, both sides of the mask here, hitting you with rule number six today. We've already gone through number one, definitions. Rule two, field of play. Rule three, equipment and uniforms. Rule four, game personnel. Last time we did rule five, game management and pregame procedures. And today we're going to look at rule number six. So rule number six, the game, starts off with two, three paragraphs. And let's look and see what that says. Softball is a game made up of two teams of nine to ten players in each lineup. In intercollegiate softball, the two teams represent the respective institutions and play the game in conformity with the NCAA playing rules. So let's look at all the headlines that we have here. That was just the first paragraph. A couple more there if you want to read them. So we have 6.1, regulation game. 6.2, scoring runs. 6.3, winning the game. 6.4, starting the game. 6-5, positions of the offensive team. Noted there is some new rule in 6-5. Uh, 6.6 also has some new text in there. Positions of the defensive team. 6.7 is new. Time between innings. 6.8, live ball. 6-9, dead ball. 6-10, delayed dead ball. 11, suspension and resumption of play. 6-12 is conferences, 13 double headers and series, 14-8 run rule. Then we got tie game, tiebreaker rule, called game, halted and interrupted game, no game, forfeited game, no contest. And then we land on rule number seven. That is going to be a lot for us to digest and go through. What I'm going to do is hit on the new rules that are in there and... Um, also, we will hit the casebook. So let's get started. And uh, as always, if you guys have any questions about the rules that we've gone over previous or rules that we're going to go over maybe in the future or this rule number six, feel free to shoot us a message and I will get it and I will try to go back and hit on it at the beginning of an episode and then let you know about it. All right. So here we go. 6-1 regulation game. A regulation game shall be seven innings unless, and then we have some things. A tied score, the game is tied, a shortened game, the home team needs none or only part of the half of its seven inning. The umpire declares a game, forfeited, halted, um, or the eight-run rule is invoked. It is a regulation game when the umpire terminates play by calling game. If a team wishes to lodge an appeal or protest on the final play of the game, it must immediately inform the plate umpire of that intent. Once the umpires leave the field, a protest will not be allowed. Speed up, free substitution, time limits, and other optional rules not specified in the rule books may not be used in official NCAA contests. Remember, in the fall, those are not official contests, so we have those speed up, free substitution, things like that. All right, moving on to 6.5 positions of the offensive team, the point three underneath that. We changed the effect in the last rule book, but now we've added that these restrictions also apply during stoppages of play, including conferences, pitching changes, substitutions, and injuries. We see teams coming out of the dugouts in different times that they shouldn't be. We changed the effect to have some sort of effect and a penalty if it happens again, and now we've made more restrictions on to when that can happen. Just keeping people in places where they need to be, where the umpires don't have to do more adjudicating than needed. 
So then we have the positions of the defensive team. And then also in 6.6.5, we added that endearing stoppages of play, including conferences, pitching changes, substitution, and injuries, that they should stay in the dugout bullpen or team area while the ball is in play. So if the ball gets put in play and everybody's excited for the runs that are being scored or that they need to stop runs for being scored, need to stay in the dugout. You'll see a pitch be thrown and coach starts wandering outside the dugout. It's just, it's a habit that has been created because they have so much energy that they need to let out and they let it out by walking around, but need to keep them in the dugout. All right, time between innings. 6.7.1 for all games, media or non-media. Okay, keep that in mind now. We're playing all games for all games. Teams are allowed a maximum of 90 seconds between innings at the start of the game for warm-ups. The time may be shortened by mutual agreement between the two teams, and if a television agreement requires a longer time between innings and the start of the game, that will become the maximum. So basically what we're saying here is that everything is going to be at least a minute and 30 seconds, 90 total seconds. It can be shorter if the teams want it to be shorter, But if TV says it needs to be longer, then TV will say that it needs to be longer. At the end of the time, if the defensive team is not ready to play, a ball will be awarded to the batter and the offensive team is not ready, a strike will be assessed. We'll see on the casebook that you can also use a conference if you would like to not be assessed that penalty. A dead ball. 6.9, a dead ball is a ball that's out of play or may become blocked or ruled dead. could also be... Uh, Once it's declared, it cannot be made live again and remains dead until the umpire indicates the resumption of play. And then we bring it back to life. That's something that baseball always likes to laugh at softball about because we say say dead ball. There's a thing that you go to a baseball camp and you'll have an umpire call out dead ball and they will go and they'll try to resuscitate the ball because... That's what they do in baseball. They like to call time instead of saying dead ball. So be aware that if you go to a baseball camp and you say dead ball, probably try to bring a baseball back to life. A delayed dead ball. A delayed dead ball is a situation in which a violation of a rule occurs and is recognized by the umpire with a delayed dead ball signal, but not ruled on until the ball becomes dead. In all cases, 6.10.4, in all cases involving an option, the umpire will confer with the plate umpire, then bring the coaches together to explain the options available to the offended coach. Once the coach makes a selection, that decision is final. And here we see in 6.11, suspension and resumption of play, dead ball or time shall be signaled for the purpose of suspending play by an umpire. All right, we had an episode earlier where we talked about this rule, and it has since been changed to meet what they want it to be called when they first put out the clarification, but the rule book didn't say that, so we changed it um, in the rule change after that play happened. But 6.11.6, after a dead ball, play resumes when the pitcher takes their place on the pitching plate with the ball in their possession. The catchers in the catcher's box and all runners have reoccupied the base they occupied at the time of the pitch and the umpire signals play ball. However, the pitcher must allow sufficient time for the base runner to return to their base. 
And then the effect, when the base runner is not given sufficient time to return to the base, they will not be called out for being off base until the pitcher releases the ball and no pitch is declared by the umpire. How does this come into play with what we had going on? If you remember right, the play, the runner jumped over the plate and then the coach comes up and grabs her arm and says, hey, you need to go back and touch the plate. Well, there we have a violation anyway, because now a coach is assisting a player around the field, which is an out. But if that didn't happen, she would be given sufficient time to return to the base. Then the base runner is obligated to return to their base without undue delay. After allowing sufficient time for the base runner to reoccupy their base, at the end of the action, the umpire shall declare the base runner out. We're going to assume that out is going to be for abandonment of base. So if we have a home run and somebody misses the base, if they haven't touched the last base of their award, or if the last base of their award was missed, we have to give them sufficient time to return to that base. 6.12, conferences. Few new notes that are going to be here. Each team is allowed seven conferences involving a team representative, defensive or offensive combined, per seven-inning regulation game. 6.12.2, each team is allowed seven player-to-player conferences not involving team representatives per regulation game. As per this casebook, when this podcast is being recorded, the new casebook has not been released yet, so we have no notes on this. So nothing's really been said and how we're going to manage it if, say, an umpire takes a ball off the bat, hits them in their face mask, and the catcher goes out and talks to the pitcher and gives the umpire a minute to breathe. Probably not going to be a charged conference, but we'll see how that works out. Each team is allowed one charged conference involving team representatives and one charged player-to-player conference per half inning. For each extra inning, any remaining conferences from regulation do not carry over into the extra innings. So each inning, a team is allowed one conference involving team and one player to player. So the back of our lineup cards or wherever you're taking notes on conferences are going to be filled quite a bit. A charge conference begins when the game is delayed or suspended to deliver a message to the defense and ends when the team representative enters dead ball territory or the player returns to their position. Giving instructions 612731, the following are not conferences, giving instructions from the dugout area without requesting suspension of play. But you would charge a conference, say coach calls a catcher over to the dugout and, to, and says something to her, and then she goes out and she talks to the pitcher after that or gives instruction. Do we have a player-to-player conference now or do we have a team representative conference a charged offensive conference sometimes we have a thing that we can do where we sweep the plate off and we do whatever for a defensive conference and we give them enough time to communicate what they need to for an offensive conference we should be giving the equal amount of time to an offense so find something 
or if you have a count, whatever it is, whenever you're doing your charged conferences, make sure that the times are equal between offensive and defensive conferences. So just be cognizant of that. And one more thing before we move on from conferences, if a team representative is having a team representative or a coach to player conference, then both teams can have a conference. And how many coaches can you have out on a conference? Not specified. So if you have somebody come out, pitching coach, talk to the pitcher. And you have an infield coach, talk to the infield. And you have an outfield coach, talk to the outfield. That's okay. And guess what? The players can also leave the bases and go talk to the offensive coach. Just need to make sure that everybody is ready to play when it's time to go. Say we have an offensive conference. Can the defense come out and talk to their pitcher? Yes. If it is a charged offensive conference, then yes, the defensive coach can come out and talk to the pitcher as well. That's okay. They just need to be off the field and ready to go when the offense is ready to go as well. 6.12.9, charge player-to-player conferences. A player-to-player conference is a meeting that takes place anytime a player delays the game or requests suspension of play for any reason and delivers a message to another player or players. There may be two charged player-to-player conferences per team per half inning in regulation innings. In extra innings, there will be only one per team per half inning. So not only do you only get seven player-to-player conferences in a game, you can only take two of those player-to-player conferences during each half inning. So if a catcher is going out and talking to the pitcher quite a bit, She's only going to be able to do that two times now per half inning. The plate umpire shall notify the head coach when a player-to-player conference has been charged and record the inning on the team's lineup card. A charged player-to-player conference begins when the game is delayed or suspended to deliver a message to the player and ends when the player returns to their positions. So there's the answer we were looking for just a minute ago. What happens if a player goes over and gets instruction from the coach and then delivers the message? There you go. It's now going to be a player-to-player conference. And you can only have two of those per half inning. When the defensive team is charged with a player-to-player conference, base runners may not abandon the vicinity of their bases without being charged a conference. So that part of it has not changed. That's still going to be the same as if players are meeting, stay on your bases. If we have a team representative or a coach meeting, then you can leave the vicinity of your base. It doesn't say you have to stay on it, but you may not abandon the vicinity of their base, making a judgment on vicinity. The umpire shall not, this is the effect for the charge player-to-player conference. The umpire shall not permit more than two player-to-player conferences per team per half inning, no more than seven per team in regulation, and not more than one player-to-player conference per team per half inning in the extra innings. So what happens? The team representative or player who initiates an unallowed conference shall be immediately ejected via an administrative ejection. If either team is charged with a conference involving team representatives, offensive or defensive, base runners are no longer restricted to the vicinity of their bases. If the base runners leave the vicinity of their bases, it is a charge conference on the offense. And if the team has already used its charge conference in the inning, the head coach is ejected. Then we talk about doubleheader series, eight-run rule, tie games, tiebreaker rule. 
when we use that. That will sometimes be dictated by the conference where they don't play any tiebreaker rules. Or you might be in those early tournaments where they say, hey, we're going to do it in the eighth inning or we're doing it in the tenth inning. Need to know that before we get the game started. And that needs to be set. It's better to set it at the pregame plate meeting. We have halted and interrupted games and how you should take care of your lineup is mentioned in the manual. We've talked a little bit about it, about keeping good notes on there and having a concise way of doing your lineup card. There are a few PowerPoints that you can find on the SUP site that will explain how you should be doing it so that we all have some general way that we are doing it. So when I hand it off to you, you're like, okay, I know what was trying to happen here. We have a no game, forfeited game. The plate umpire should declare a game of forfeit awarded to the offended team in the following cases. If a team is on site but refuses to begin the game for which it is scheduled or signed within five minutes after the plate umpire has called played ball, unless such delay in the beginning of the game is unavoidable. I've heard of some situations like this happening where teams didn't want to play because it was too cold, but not under the allowable temperature to start the game. But they came to an agreement and they didn't end up playing the game. Our next rule is going to be appeals and protests. But let's have a look right now at the case book. All right, just going to hit on a couple of these real quick. AR 6-10 between innings or during a pitching change, the offensive team positions himself along the foul line to watch the pitcher warm up. The offensive team positions himself along the foul line to prevent the offensive team from watching the pitcher warm up. In both cases, this is illegal. The head coach will be warned the first time the players are illegally positioned and a second violation, the head coach will be ejected. The rules allow the batter and on-deck batter to take warm-up swings in foul territory. doesn't say where those swings take place, whether it's on their side or the opposing side. It just says foul territory. Other players may run in foul territory, portion of the outfield. A coach can huddle or meet with players close to the dugout area as long as this does not delay the game. So if players are running, you see players run out to the foul pole and they're coming back and they're going to take their lead off like they're stealing a base. Needs to be done in the outfield. The pitcher throws her four warm-up pitches, then throws once to second baseman, covering first base rather than the first baseman. So if you read there, the pitcher can throw pitches and she can throw to first base, no other base. The second baseman is now covering This is legal. The rule says the throw must go to first base, the place, but does not say who is there to receive the throw. Uh, If we look back one, AR 6-14, after the pitcher completes four warm-up pitches, she throws once to an infielder at third base. Is this a violation? And if yes, why can't she throw to the base of her choice? The ruling is, yes, it is illegal. The intent of the rule is to limit the number of throws and to limit the direction of throws which should assist the opponents and umpires in doing their job while the play is suspended without worrying about errant throws. So there's some cases in there that go along uh, game-changing plays. The head coach comes to the umpire to make a series of substitutions and then meets with the catcher to exchange to insert her wristband for signaling a pitch in the selection. Is this a charge conference? 
During suspension of the play, administration of the substitution bowl teams hold uncharged conferences, provided they are ready to resume play when the umpire has completed the substitution responsibilities. Note that base runners are restricted to their bases during this time unless either team chooses a charged conference. So looking at this AR and trying to figure out exactly what's going on, it looks like we're making substitutions, but we're not making a pitching change. Last little note on conferences here. This is a time where a charged defense conference is not charged. To remove the pitcher from the pitching position or to make a defensive substitution, provided the umpire is informed first. So if the coach comes to the umpire, makes the change, and then goes to the pitcher, no conference will be charged. If it happens the other way around, go to the pitcher and then talk and then come give you the change. Probably going to be charging a conference. That's it for this one. If you guys have any questions, this is a long one. Uh, I actually recorded it in two different settings just so that I could make sure that I'm going through and getting it all done correctly. I hope you guys are enjoying this. We've done rules one through six so far. So if you've missed out on it the first time we did rule one through three. Um, so go back and have a listen to it. This is what our third episode of this. It's been good for us to go through the rule book and I'll get prepared for the season just as beneficial for me as it is for you. If you guys have any suggestions for us to do, we talked about maybe doing a podcast with a accountant to talk about what we need to do for our travel expenses and how we need to handle that and how we need to keep note of that and what we need to do so that we're doing our taxes correctly. So, but until then, you guys be excellent. Last little note on conferences here. This is a time where a charged defense conference is not charged. To remove the pitcher from the pitching position or to make a defensive substitution, provided the umpire is informed first. So if the coach comes to the umpire, makes the change, and then goes to the pitcher, no conference will be charged. If it happens the other way around, go to the pitcher and then talk and then come give you the change. Probably going to be charging a conference. All right, moving on.